Welcome to the North Sound Church Podcast. For more information about North Sound Church, please visit our website at northsoundchurch.com. We are talking about heaven uh, at North Sound, and I hope that you have found uh, it uh, uh, of interest uh, for a number of our families who have lost loved ones. It's become a much more practical thing than simply thinking about heaven in the sweet by and by, but in fact, um, as we say goodbye to loved ones, we are much more aware of the, uh, of the importance of the understanding of this place that God has for us. In the first Sunday of our series, we talked about the question, is that all there is? We talked about the fact that when life is at its worst, and even when life is at its best, there's a longing in our hearts that isn't satisfied. We, we ask ourselves the question in the midst of the worst times in life, but even in the best times of life, we ask ourselves the question, is that all there is? And we talked about the fact that, is that all there is? In summarizing that question, it kind of led us to, uh, to C.S. Lewis, who, who said that um, it's so important for us to understand that, that if we have desires that are not fulfilled on this earth, it means that our desires must be filled somewhere else and that there is a drawing in our hearts to the completion that will take place in our lives in heaven. Last week, we talked about the intermediate heaven, the place that followers of Jesus go when they die. And we talked about the fact that the intermediate heaven isn't the final place that we're going to go, which is the new heavens and the new earth. The intermediate heaven um, is a place where we go to be with the Lord immediately. We talked about some scripture verses where Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We talked about the thief on the cross who Jesus said, this day you will be with me in paradise. But we talked about the fact that the heaven, the new heavens and the new earth, we are not able to go to immediately because they don't yet exist. They haven't yet come into existence. They come into existence essentially uh, with the second coming of our Lord and the new heavens and the new earth. So we can't go to a place that chronologically has not yet been developed. So, so we go, the place that we go to is called paradise. And I tried to illustrate for folks who were here last week, I tried to illustrate the, from, uh, from the aviation world of years ago how people wanted to go to Tahiti because they heard it was heaven on earth. And uh, they, they headed out to go to Tahiti, um, but they had a stop on the way, and the stop was in Hawaii. And in landing in Hawaii, and they overnighted there, they had no idea how beautiful it was. In fact, they discovered the people there called it paradise. And so they, they landed in paradise on their way to heaven. So that metaphor may be a little bit strained, but in fact, that's kind of the truth of what we understand here. When, uh, when Liz Stubbs heard this talk, Liz is our children's pastor, Liz, uh, Liz sent me an email and she said, you know, my mom and dad have passed away and I, and I thought they were in heaven, but I've discovered they're actually in Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> so this morning we're going to talk about the eternal heaven or the new heavens and the new earth. And uh, that's commonly what we speak of when we talk about heaven. I mentioned the book by Randy Alcorn called, uh, simply called Heaven. 
and uh, I recommend it to you uh, again today. And uh, I'm going to actually pull some stuff from a chart that he had in his book that I think is helpful for us. And what we're going to do is we're going to discover, I believe, that heaven is better than we think. I think that we have over the years developed some funny ideas about what heaven actually is. And when we actually look in the scriptures at the reality of heaven, we're going to understand um, that it's actually better than we have even imagined. So I want to suggest to you before I do that, though, that we're in the area of eschatology. And that fancy word simply means we're talking about things that that, that are sort of the last things, things that deal with death, they deal with resurrection, they deal with the second coming of Christ, they deal with what's going to happen in the future. And from a theological perspective, we, we tend to tread a little bit more carefully, a little bit more softly when we talk about things related to eschatology, related to heaven in the future, um, because we have very solid, solid ground under our feet when we look at our Lord, his life, death, and resurrection, salvation. Um, the fundamentals of the faith are, are, are very, very strong. But we tend to be a little more sensitive because good Christian people have some different perspectives um, on the future. So I want to be sensitive to that this morning and recognize that um, there are some, uh, so, some broad opinions about how this stuff actually begins to work out. So I'm going to give you several assumptions that many of us have had and follow that up with what we believe to be what the Bible says uh, about this heaven, about the heaven that we normally think of. First of all, we assume that heaven is not associated with the earth, that we go to heaven somewhere else. But the Bible suggests, relative to this eternal heaven, that there will be a new earth. Revelation 21, John the seer, John the revelator, says this. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. So John indicates that, that at, at, at this particular time of the return of Jesus, the new heavens and the new earth take place. The new Jerusalem descends to earth, and the, new, the eternal heaven is here. Much of what we know on earth or know of as earth will be destroyed, or perhaps a better word isn't destroyed, which suggests um, you know, obliteration, but maybe some kind of a refining will take place relative to the earth that we know. Second uh, Peter chapter 3, verses 11 to 13. And then creation itself will be transformed, so there will be continuity with what we know. Paul says in Romans 8, uh, verse 19, he said, The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. The picture that I see is at the very beginning of time, we had the creation of paradise. Adam and Eve lived in paradise and they chose to go their own way. They chose to do the one thing that would alienate their relationship with God. And in some sense, in some way, we move back with the new heavens and the new earth to creation that has been liberated like it was in the beginning. 
The second thing that we assume, by the way, if you're interested in the white space on your program, uh, there are other scripture verses you can jot down and, and read over them and begin to think about um, the understanding that we have of each one of these particular assumptions. The second assumption is that we assume that heaven will be unfamiliar and otherworldly. And the Bible says heaven will be familiar and earthly. You know, uh, when we see movies that picture heaven, one of the challenges that uh, we see is that they're, 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 the heaven that they picture is sort of very unreal. Do you remember, some of us are old enough to remember Heaven Can Wait. I think it was Warren, Warren Beatty that was in that movie. And, uh, and, and it's sort of this, this white place, you know, sort of white, white out, and, uh, and, and it's, it's sort of a, really an unusual kind of an existence. And then if, if you go down through the years, the various kinds of, they like white for some reason with Heaven, um, and, uh, it, and, but it's very unfamiliar. It's a, it's a, it's a different place. It's a whole other kind of existence. And, and uh, we tend to think that way. Um, as a pastor who does uh, many memorial services for folks as a pastor, um, I don't particularly care for the open mic time. Families love the open mic time, and as a pastor, I don't care for it because I never know what people are going to say. And often, people will say the most bizarre things about what has happened to the person that has gone on. It, it has no basis in fact or scripture as far as I know. And it's like, as a pastor, how do, I, how do I sort of correct that or just, you know, do I let it go? The other thing that, that is the case with memorial services is that you have folks who come to the open mic and they tell a long fishing story and then they say, yeah, and Fred liked fishing too. Uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's so, so if, if I help you with a service and I suggest maybe um, an open mic not be a good idea, you will prevail if you want an open mic, but you will stress out your pastor tremendously in the process. <laughs> Two guys were sitting on a park bench. This illustrates this point. And uh, they, weren't, they weren't talking a lot because they were guys. Uh, and, uh, and eventually the one guy turns to the other and says, my wife's an angel, that's what she is. And the other fellow ponders it for a moment and slowly says, my wife's still living. <laughs> uh, and, and, and that's sort of this idea of strange things that happen, that somehow we become angels when we die, and there's no reason to believe that that's the case. We have these unorthodox ideas, um, but it's important for us to see that heaven talks about, or, or the scriptures talk about heaven in very robust kinds of terms, very earthly kinds of terms. Um, Josiah read for us this morning from Isaiah chapter 65, and and I, I want to read it again. I, I just want you to see, the, the, again, the, this, the language we have to be careful about literal application, but, but you get the idea of what's being talked about here in terms of the robustness of heaven. Verse 17 of Isaiah 65, Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. They will build houses and dwell in them. They'll plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses that others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the works of their hands. They will not toil in vain or bear children doomed to misfortune. 
They will be a people blessed by the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. But dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountains, says the Lord. Then looking ahead in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 10, we see the coming of the Messiah and his future reign as Messiah. And he says he will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Let me encourage you to check the additional scriptures that are on the screen as we talk about this robust earthly kind of nature of heaven. The third thing we assume is that in heaven, we will be disembodied people. We will be sort of spirits that kind of float around. And uh, the Bible says that in heaven, this eternal heaven, we're going to have resurrection bodies. Uh, These resurrection bodies will be like Jesus in the sense that when he rose from the dead, if you think about uh, the 40 days or so that he spent with the disciples after his resurrection, He had a spiritual body or he had a resurrected body, but that didn't mean it was non-corporeal. That mean there wasn't some physical nature to it. Do you remember that Jesus in his resurrection body ate? And do you remember in his resurrection body, he had Thomas, doubting Thomas, um, touch the nail holes in his hand. He, He had a resurrected body, but it was corporeal in some very real sense. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. The fourth thing we assume about heaven is that heaven will have no time or space. And uh, the Bible says, it seems to suggest that in heaven we have both time and space. Sometimes our theology is uh, coming out of well-intentioned hymns. Pastor Skoog, I loved the hymns this morning. Um, I, Alan knows that um, I love classic hymns, so it needs to be about 200 years old uh, for me. Um, but there are, I have to admit, some wonderful hymns in, the, in more recently, the last hundred years or so. But um, we are treated on the fifth Sunday to a service of hymns. And, uh, and, 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 I love, and I love those hymns. But sometimes the theology of hymns isn't so good. Sometimes the hymn, which is a beloved hymn, doesn't have good theology and it leads us astray a bit. And uh, so one of those hymns um, is uh, an, an old hymn that begins this way, the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. I wonder where they get that from. Um, Well, actually, I have an idea of where they get it from because in the King James translation of Revelation chapter 10 and verse six, it says um, there should be time no longer. There should be time no longer. And this is corrected from the King James Version in more recent versions that says there will be no more delay. There will be no more delay. Meaning, um, what, what they mean by that is there's no more delay until the judgment of God takes place. So it, it's talking about a delay in time, not in fact that there will be no time. Now there's another hymn that most of you know that actually absolutely nails this. And this hymn uh, is by John Newton. It's called Amazing Grace. And it says, when we've been there, 
10,000 years. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. So we have this great expression of, uh, of, 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 of the truth of Scripture that, in fact, heaven is going to be a long time. There's much scripture that supports this, and I'm just going to mention um, some of them for you very quickly. Uh, there are others on the screen as well. Uh, remember, there's joy in heaven over one sinner that repents, according to Luke 15:7. There's apparently knowledge of the progression of time. It's also the case regarding the martyrs in heaven who asked the Lord how long it would be until the Lord judged the earth. Again, suggesting this progression of time in Revelation 6. Paul speaks of heaven in terms of the coming ages, Ephesians 2, 7. God's people serve the Lord day and night in his temple, according to Revelation 7. The tree of life in the new earth will be giving its fruit every month, according to Revelation 22. And then way back in Genesis, before the fall, God says the seasons and the cycle of day and night would never cease in Genesis chapter 8. I think we're up to the fifth assumption, and that one is that we assume that heaven will be a place where there is no learning or discovery because we'll know everything. But the Bible says heaven will be a place where we will have an eternity of learning and discovery. We tend to think of heaven as being somewhat static. Um, if, If anything, if any of our visions of heaven in our culture is somebody on a cloud playing a harp, or jokes about St. Peter at the gate choosing who he's going to let in or who he isn't. But we, we tend not to have this wonderful, robust view of learning and discovery that will take place in heaven. The joy of learning and the joy of discovery will continually be with us. One of the things that I love about life um, is, is that, that joy that comes with, with reading a wonderful book and, and growing in knowledge and understanding um, and, 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 and creating a new skill or a new talent or a new experience or something that helps me to be more effective in the calling that God has given me or as a husband or as a father or now a grandfather. That's just one of the fundamental ways I think that God has made us and that doesn't change when we go to heaven. In his famous chapter about love, Paul writes this. He says, now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. Um, Occasionally I reference Greek and here is one of those times, the word for knowledge or knowing in Greek is gnosko or epigonosko. And uh, that's the word that's used here. And it suggests that of to really know or to know extensively, but in human terms, they, these never refer to complete knowledge. It's not like we ever get to the place where we know everything. God is the only one that is omniscient. He is all-knowing. We are not, and it appears we never will be, but we will have an opportunity in heaven to grow in knowledge and understanding. We don't all of a sudden transition into heaven and know everything. In fact, it appears our learning will be progressive. Consider Ephesians 2. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. The word show here has the sense of reveal. So we have the picture of God progressively revealing to us the coming ages. And when we think about that, it's a, it's, it's a recognition that heaven is not a static place. 
It's a dynamic place in which we will learn and grow. And I suggest checking out some of the other scriptures that are there as well. I think this is the last assumption that we have for now, and that is that heaven will be a place where we have nothing to do. Heaven will be a place where we have nothing to do. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I wonder if any of you have thought heaven might be really boring. Um, it might be a very, 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 very long church service. Have any of you, you know, don't raise your hand, but have you ever thought that way? And it's like, if that's what heaven's like, maybe I want to stay here a little longer, you know. Uh, but in fact, that's not the picture that we have. We actually have the picture that says, Bible says, heaven will be a place where we have a God to worship and serve, a universe to rule, purposeful work to accomplish, and friends to enjoy. That's the more literal picture that we have of heaven here in the scripture. They suggest we're going to be busy in heaven, good busy in heaven. We will indeed worship God, Revelation 5.13. Imagine the best worship service you've ever been in. It won't compare to the wonder of actually being in God's presence. Imagine actually worshiping with the object of your desire. It will be incredible. But heaven isn't one long worship service. We'll be able to worship God and enjoy his presence well, we do other things. Think about this. 1 Thessalonians five sixteen to 18, we read this. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Think about these again for just a minute. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. All of those we do while we're doing something else, Right? We do all of those things while we're doing something else. So in heaven, we can enjoy the presence of God. We can worship God, but we will also have the freedom and the opportunity to do many other things as well. Remember uh, when we did the series on the parables, we talked about, um, we talked about those who, who were given the 10 talents. You remember that? It's actually that parable is one of those that's sort of a recurring theme for us at North Sound. We, we often go back to that parable because your pastor is fascinated with the, God's gift to us and understanding of the kingdom of God. And that, that, that parable illustrates the nature of the kingdom. It, it illustrates how we understand God's kingdom to take place among us. And in that parable, we read this. The parable is introduced this way. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. And if you remember in this parable, the servants were given 10 talents, excuse me, five talents, two talents, and one talent. And and, uh, and, and, uh, and the guy that had the one talent just buried it. He didn't invest it. The other two invested their talents, and they received essentially the same reward. One was put in charge of five cities, another in charge of ten cities. And we're told in the scripture that we will reign with God, Revelation 22, verse 5. So he has work for us to do. We are put to work in the kingdom of God, and the kingdom that we enter into now, we will transition when we go to heaven, and we will continue to serve that kingdom. Some of you may be familiar with the name Victor Hugo. More of us will be familiar with his work. He gave us uh, the, the book, and then the screenplay, and then the, uh, the Broadway show, Les Miserables. And Victor Hugo was a follower of Jesus Christ, and, and I think he nails 
this idea of the fact that here on earth our work is not completed, our work is not done, and that as we transition into heaven, our work will continue. Here's what he says. He says, I feel within me that future life, I am like a forest that has been raised. The new shoots are stronger and brighter. I shall most certainly rise towards the heavens the nearer my approach to the end, the plainer the sounds of immortal symphonies of worlds which invite me. For half a century, I have been translating my thoughts into prose and verse. History and drama and philosophy and romance, tradition, satire, ode and song, all of these I have tried, but I feel I haven't given utterance to the thousandth part of what lies within me. When I go to the grave, I can say, as others have said, my day's work is done, but I cannot say my life is done. My work will recommence the next morning. The tomb is not a blind alley, it's a thoroughfare. It closes upon the twilight, but opens upon the dawn. As we begin to reflect on what the scriptures tell us about heaven, I think we need to realize this morning It's an even more wonderful place than what we have understood. In fact, we can't even get our imaginations around how wonderful heaven will actually be. It is familiar in some ways and yet incredible in other ways. It's a new earth where there will be resurrected bodies. It will be a place where we have the pleasure of God's company and where we learn and grow and continue to have purpose for our lives. One of the more memorable moments in J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings, uh, in The Return of the King, one of the, uh, one of the movies or one of the, uh, the books of the trilogy, um, the, the, it comes in the, in the heat of a pitched battle, but it's not the, the hurtling energy of siege engines and the the, 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 the digital agility of Legolas or Mumransk or the running onslaught of Rohim, it's actually a quiet moment, and it's a moment that takes place as the castle in which Pippin and Gandalf uh, are together, and the, 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 the trolls are breaking down the outer defenses of the castle and are about to come through the inner defenses, and it appears that they are about to die. And as they face this impending doom, in the midst of this battle around them, there's this quiet moment of conversation. And Pippin says to Gandalf, I didn't think it would end this way. And, says a surprised Gandalf, the journey doesn't end here. Death is just another path, one we all must take. And in an article, the screenwriters of this particular movie, Philippa Boyens and Fran Walsh, are particularly proud, they say, of this moment in the film. And, 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 and what they're proud of is the fact that in this explicitly positive discussion of death, they were asked whether this scripting was a conscious choice. And they said it definitely was deliberately done, this conversation, said Boyens. But what I love, she said, is that Ian McClellan made you feel good about it. And what are the words that Boyens and Walsh put in McKellen's mouth? The exchange between Pippin and Gandalf continues this way. Gandalf says the gray rain curtain of this world rose back and all turns to silver glass 
and then you see it. And Pippin says, see what, Gandalf? And he says, white shores and beyond a far green country under a swift sunrise. And Pippin says, well, that isn't so bad. And Gandalf says, no, it isn't. And that's the picture that we have. Death is not so bad. It is but an entry into the joy of what the Lord has prepared for us. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you this morning for your word, which continues to be a lamp to our feet and a light to our pathway.